This episode, regular contributor Mr. Lee Beckman, or The Beckman as he likes to be called, is going to help me talk through six good-bad movies, or I guess we'll be asking ourselves and asking our listeners, are these movies so bad they're good? Does that exist as a thing? Can it be good even though it's bad? Can it be bad even though, or, or enjoyable even though it's bad? This is a weird area of films, and I'm sure I'm going to come off alternatively way too friendly and way too hostile, so uh, let's get into it. I mean, I love almost every aspect of film, and sometimes I even enjoy failure. I think, for the most part, this episode will be a study in failure, and the study will include coarse language and spoilers for the six films being discussed. That is, if in fact any of these movies can be spoiled. Rank and Review drops every other Wednesday. Please tell that other movie film fan in your life about the podcast. And uh, you can check out the website at rankandreview.ca or send me feedback at rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Thanks for your ears. Now let's get to it. Mr. Lee Beckman is uh, back on the podcast here, and uh, we are going to do an interesting episode. Um, Mr. Beckman has this theory that uh, he and I do some of our best works when the subject is, shall we say, difficult? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that, That is one thing, yeah, yeah, that's one way of putting it. Um, so I have a list of movies here. Um, at least four out of the six movies this week, I have heard someone say or even uttered myself, this is the worst movie I've ever fucking seen. <laughs> and you had me at that. Uh, um, 
Now, sometimes I can get behind, like, just enjoying the suck of a movie. Like, it's just, it's so incompetent. It's so, like, just kind of adorably amateurish that I can actually turn around and start enjoying it. Yeah. Um, And then there are other times where, you know, it's just a bad, good movie. It's just, like, for reasons beyond my full power of comprehension... I know this movie is bad, but I choose to like it anyway. But yes. what what itch is being scratched by these movies, and should that category of movie exist? Like, should I have to defend myself by saying it's so bad it's good if I enjoy it? Is it not a good movie? Um, I definitely think you can uh, definitely argue that it's so bad it's good. And sometimes you're just not in the mood for something like Nomadlands. You, you want something that than you <laughs> no i've always said like there's movies that i like to watch that'll do all the work for me but even those yeah. movies they can be fun and dumb but still you know there's a there's a brain behind it there's a comp uh, basic level of competency to the production right yeah. Yeah. Uh, not all of these movies are completely wall-to-wall incompetent but i think all of these movies express at least one aspect of kind of embarrassing incompetence <laughs> is is that unfair <laughs> no that, that that is not unfair i think that is accurate actually yeah so um my other friend jeremy cook who uh used to come on the show with some regularity he really enjoys like discovering new bad movies is that something that you like to find do you like to find the new like on top of the best movies of the year, is there a, a part of you that enjoys the worst movies of the year as well? Uh, I think the older I get, that's probably true, uh, especially in the cold, cold, dark nights of January, which we are currently in. Yeah. Um, there, there's something to be said about finding that sort of diamond in the rough so bad you can't believe that not just one, but a group of people <laughs> came together and, and, and made this. And, like, there's some, like, really bad movies that no one has ever heard about. I tried showing you Hot Potato a while back, and that definitely, st- you know, is one of those so bad it's good movies. Um, whether it was planned or not is the real question, and whether they were successful in that, that is another. Yeah, and there... I mean, I guess I shouldn't paint with a broad brush. I'm sure there are movies on this list that people do enjoy. There are people who defend the happening to me. You know, uh, wow. I I am not a fan, but we'll get we'll we'll, we'll fight that battle when we come to that battle. But okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I, I did a guilty pleasures episode with Scott where I sort of started down this journey of like. Is it okay for things to be so bad it's good? Or when I say guilty pleasure or like it sucks but it's it's hilarious, yeah. am I doing that film a disservice? And I would argue I am not. Somebody will probably listen to my rant on Shark Exorcist and think, that sounds terrible. I need to see that. <laughs> And I think maybe the service we're providing here, in some cases, if we didn't talk about these movies, who fucking would? <laughs> <laughs> so, what you're saying is 
is we're actually doing society a favor. It's a public service. It's a damn sin that we don't get paid for this. <laughs> I, 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 hey, I'm pre- the preacher of the choir, brother. I've been saying this for years that we should get paid for this. I think this should be, like, government funding. Well, and if I'm going to sit through, you know, <laughs> the hills have eyes too in Plan 9 from outer space <laughs> voluntarily... Maybe I should have enough money in the bank account to see that psychiatrist I clearly so desperately need. In fact, I think it goes like this. It goes Gandhi, Jesus, and then you. Then me? Okay. You're very kind. Is there anything else you'd like to say by way of introduction to this very strange... I don't know what do we what do you want to call it? Is it bad movie night? Is it guilty pleasures? What are they? Are, are... I think bad movie night. I think capulates it or like just it says it perfectly. We're not lying to anybody. No, no, uh, none of these films I think are lying to you, <laughs> except maybe the happening. But I think all, the majority of these films might have started out kind of like we're bad. We need to eat and just. Just go. And like, this could be an episode where the competition is not for the top of the list, but the bottom. (laughs) If you're going to be a bad movie, do you want to be the best of the bad movies? (laughs) And I say, yay. No, um, I was looking for a list where I think we do do well when it's definitely sort of an eclectic movie collection. And boy, we've got it here. (laughs) We do. Um, Yeah, there's, wow. I just, I don't know where to begin, man. Well, the only way to begin is to begin. The six bad movie night pictures that Mr. Lee Beckman and Larry Parsons, your host and random Canadian, are going to be tackling this week. We have the sci-fi original, Sharknado. Yeah. You and I have talked about Wes Craven before, and usually pretty favorably, but today we are going to discuss The Hills Have Eyes, part two. Wow. From... Infamous filmmaker Ed Wood, Plan 9 from Outer Space, arguably his masterpiece? Wow. From modern infamous filmmaker M. Night Shyamalan, one who used to be thought of as the new Hitchcock, we have, I think, the final nail in the coffin for his reputation, which was The Happening. We have the movie that I advertised to you as maybe one of the worst movies I've encountered for the podcast called Shark Exorcist. Somebody's trying to bring the heat against Sharknado this week. Wow, see, like this, like, it's safe to say that you and I collectively and probably together have seen a lot of bad movies. Oh, yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna deny that. (laughs) Okay, so that you especially say it's one of the worst movies ever made that's that's no small feat I think that's I'm setting the table for that one and yeah, just to wrap up the movies because uh, two animal attack movies in an episode just aren't enough yeah. we were also going to talk about Lake Placid versus Anaconda two of the more modern B-movie monsters going at it in a CGI fight fest of some kind <laughs> So, that's the dish being served this week. Are you excited? I am over the moon excited. Especially for Anaconda versus what again? Lake Placid. Lake Placid. It's the film that I never knew I needed. Well, let's get into it, brother. It's poised to be the first hurricane. Storm is what's driven them all up north. And I've never seen so many of them. It's 
with sharks to rain down on So, Sharknado is a sci-fi original movie, I guess you could maybe try to call it. <laughs> yes, I think that's a, that's a safe safe bet, yeah. Um, sci-fi originals, a lot of them shot in and around Vancouver, sort of making ridiculously cheap movies with ridiculously big-budget premises, right? They're going to try and do like a blockbuster knockoff of Pacific Rim for like under half a million dollars like yeah. The, yeah they set themselves impossible tasks and see how close they can come to success and usually it is exactly the kind of movie we're talking about where people laugh at it or people don't watch it and it comes and it goes something happened with sharknado yep. sharknado became cooler talk at the office <laughs> and it became ridiculous ratings killer whenever they re-aired it up to the point where there are now six Sharknado movies. I do believe so. Now, you, here's you know? here's some damning evidence, though. For all the movies I have in my collection, this is the only Sharknado. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a believer in Sharknado. <laughs> okay. I know it's hard to believe. You know, I love sharks, and high-concept B-movies aren't going to shake me off. But... This is a case of a movie that while I'm watching it, I'm having a hard time deciding what about it sucks the most. <laughs> so I'm glad that you're here to help me out. In the end, I think what sucks the most, although the special effects and Tara Reed's acting try really hard to win the day, I think it's the editing that makes the movie really fucking irritating to watch <laughs> okay but that's where i'm gonna start i mean should should we talk about the premise or is the title the premise <laughs> uh i i think you can break it down brother it won't take long <laughs> there's a weird uh natural congregation of lots of sharks off of the coast of california and this is exacerbated by a severe weather storm that sweeps across the ocean scoops up the sharks and starts <laughs> blowing them literally all across the city into people. And uh, I recently did a podcast with mutual friend Matthew Risling, and man, did he ever get mad at how monsters are, er, monsters are treated like animals. No, how animals are treated like monsters. And all of the sharks in this movie, not only are they not convincing in how they look or move or do things, yeah. but... They're like Pac-Mans. They just, they, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what, if they've been pulled out of their natural environment, <clears throat> thrown through the air, and flown into a building, the first bit of business is to eat whatever's in front of them. Yep. They, they growl, too. Oh, growl. God. Pet peeve number 12. Um, am I being too mean to Sharknado, or is it every bit the piece of shit that I'm describing? Well, I think the cinematic... Uh, the cynic cinematic moviegoer will hate hate Sharknado. It, there's there's so much that w would make your head slap. But 
I am going to sort of pull from actually your rubric, The Great Larry Parsons. Who is your movie for, and was it successful in accomplishing accomplishing its goal? Well, what is it trying to do, and is it successful? Yes. Yeah. Um, this film is definitely taking the piss out of a plethora of disaster films that have long come before it, whether it's The Swarm and or... I mean, sci-fi has long made these, you know, really cheap monster movie mishmash films like Piranaconda and <laughs> Shark Octopus and... Dino Shark. Dino Shark, which I actually, I think, do have in my DVD collection. <laughs> um, I, uh, of course, on our, I think it was 90s horror, mm-hmm. um... No, was it 90s or 2000s? Anyways, I think I had um, Frankenfish as my guilty pleasure. Right. So I can easily get seduced by a Sharknado. I think on the wrong day, I would be with you, but I am here to defend Sharknado. All right, our first fight of the day. Well, look, I understand that the movie knows that it's stupid, but it's not played with any kind of wink or fun. Like, Oh, no. They play it serious, which I think makes it even more entertaining for me. Are you prepared to get even angrier, Larry? Okay. So, um, uh, I, I don't know. Well, of course the internet. The internet never lies. Never. So I could be wrong on this. But, and I quote, uh, Sharknado, the once joke of a film, has officially become one of the most successful movie franchises of all time. Well, in the rate to money spent to money made, I don't doubt it. The four-year-old franchise on July 11th made 4.5... Yeah, 4.503 billion dollars. Jesus. Outgrossing Disney Pixar, which had like 4.502 billion dollars. Well, is that, is that true? Is somebody fucking with us? <laughs> that sounds a little bit crazy now. <laughs> I... Well, multiple sites do actually corroborate this. It actually has made more money, believe it or not. I thought maybe you were talking like Raid and Return. Like, um, Blair Witch is still considered one of the most profitable movies on time, not because of all time, not because it made more money than other movies, but because yeah. the cost it took to make the movie versus yeah. the money they made was so huge. Like, the dollar-to-dollar investment payback is, like, ridiculous. So maybe that's what they're talking about. I don't know. I haven't looked into it, but that is interesting. I I wanted to quote you on this. So, like, this film, from the get-go, was designed to be bad. And somehow it just, it hit America in its its sweet spot. Like, I'm always curious to, you know, to see what films become popular in North America for whatever reason. Like, 15 years ago, if you would have told me that there would be a slew of you know, preteen, teeny, bopper vampire films known as the Twilight series be as popular as they were, and those movies are bad, Larry. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, they yeah. are bad. Vampires sparkle gold in the sun, Larry. <laughs> no, I, I have not subjected myself to Twilight, but I'm willing to take everybody's word on it. Oh, Even yeah. people who like Twilight seem to, on some level, understand that it is not good. <laughs> so. it is- not good like it is terrible movie making it is brutal but what about sharknado (laughs) yes but sharknado but somehow sharknado hit even when it like first premiered it 
it did okay, but then on its, like, as you mentioned earlier, its second and the third repeat viewing, it got bigger and bigger till it finally, like, some cinema chains decided to show it in the theater. (laughs) And I get people sometimes like to show up to laugh at something, but... Uh, What I take issue with is when you set out to be that. I like it when you earnestly tried to make a good movie and failed so completely that the people showed up and and were entertained on a different level. I think The Room did that, right? Sure. As much as the director of The Room keeps on saying, no, he meant for it to be funny. He didn't. He didn't mean to make the worst, most hysterical, accidentally funny movie of all time. That's why it's awesome. And keep your money, you've earned every penny. <laughs> but, like, don't pretend, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But I guess I sort of look at films like Snakes on a Plane. Yeah. Now, Snakes on a Plane is definitely without, with not its, without its flaws. Um, and I even would agree that it sort of loses steam in the third act. But it knew exactly what it was. And I, I appreciate it and applaud it for what it is. Well, here's my issue with your defense of Sharknado. None of it has had anything to do with the movie. Okay. Well, You're comparing it to other bad movies. Okay. <laughs> like, I was embarrassed for John Hurd in this movie. Really? I, I like John Hurd. I think he, he was a decent actor. This was towards the end of his career. He was kind of past his best before date, and he wound up playing this sleazy guy in a bar whose lines weren't funny, whose performance wasn't funny, and whose death didn't matter. Right? (laughs) But he definitely earned his death, and you're like, aww, I love his line with the stool when he just, like, clubs the shark saying, make fun of my stool, eh? Like, no sense. No, no. I hated him. I hated how he was sexually harassing the waitress. I kind of liked the waitress character, I guess, in that I was cheering for her to hook up with 90210 boy. But the movie won't do that. The movie will set that up, but instead she's going to hook up with his son because he has to repair his family, which leads us to Tara Reed. She is embarrassingly terrible in the movie. So much so that at no point in the movie do I feel anything between her and not just the person she's supposed to be in love with, but anybody else in the movie. She is a fucking black hole of suck. Every time she's on screen, you can't look away from her, but everything stops. Like, it is it is amazing. And I, I know that I've already been unkind, but wasn't the thing about Tara Reid that she was really beautiful? So shouldn't this be compensated by me just being wowed by how pretty she is? She is not. She's a spoiled fucking child for the entire movie and she is rewarded for it she is wrong loudly wrong and obviously wrong in everything she says through the movie and she is rewarded for it ian Ziering at least plays the role of the hero as bland as it is written as hard as he can like no matter how stupid the line he is presented with he earnestly delivers it and i appreciate his effort especially when played against tara reed who should be banished from fucking Hollywood. Wow. She's awful. Defend her. I dare you. <laughs> I can't defend her, Larry. I can't. She was in The Big Lebowski. And like, like I'm amazed that the Coen brothers made it work with her, but they did. She only had like six lines, but I bet you that took a day a line. 
Like, <laughs> American Pie, Alone in the Dark, it goes on. The Josie and the Pussycats. I get it. She <laughs> is a black hole of charisma. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, I could not stop watching. <laughs> it, it, it is, and, and like, it is mercifully like 86 minutes long, and that's with end credits. It also, I think it has my new favorite song in the, <laughs> at the end credits. The Ballad of Sharknado by the band Quint. They do have a bit of a Dead Milkman vibe going for them there that I did appreciate. But uh, I think I might have just been happy that the credits were rolling. (laughs) See, when they they got to to, the freeway scene and the waters are, are like rolling over and all the sharks are coming and they're driving in the car and it's clearly like a CG, like they've got maybe like a model car. Uh, and they're in, and, but it's all CGI background, and the sharks, the fins are swinging past them, and Ian Zarek, who makes the movie for me, and I thought I would <laughs> He's never, trying so hard. Never, <laughs> I thought I would never, ever, ever say that. Like, ever. But he plays it so straight, and like, pitch perfect straight, that I howled. Like there's this on the freeway, and all of a sudden, the, the, the Ian Zerick looks in the rearview mirror, and there's a whole bunch of shark fins yeah. coming after them. And then they they hear the sh- a shark go underneath the car, which would never happen. Oh no! The, you cannot ask any questions during this movie. Yeah. Can you drive a car when there's water up to like the windows? No, no. you cannot. But no. even if we're gonna go like with you on that, when the car stops. We shouldn't hear the tires squeal. Like, oh my god. (laughs) Like, basically, like, again, I know that the movie's called Sharknado, but like I say, the actors are playing it so straight that it's like they don't want us to have fun. They want us to take this seriously. And I think that is the fun, the fact that they are taking it seriously. Well, as they move forward, and again, I haven't seen them, I've just seen, like, the posters for them and that, they seem to embrace the stupid a little bit more. And, like,. I mean, not that Sharknado didn't know what it is, but sort of explore more fully, like, the silliness of this world. And I think I needed a little bit more fun in this movie. Like, when I was expected to take it seriously when John Hurd's character died, I was just like, I felt more sorry for John Hurd the person than the character who just got killed by a shark, right? Well, I agree that when when the uh, classically trained actor John Hurd does exit the movie, uh, a notch of uh, quality of acting does go down. But I don't even know that he's amazing in it. Again, he's getting a quick paycheck. Yeah. It just it seems like this is where his career has ended up, Sharknado. Like Ian Ziering and Tara Reid are probably happy to have any work at this point, right? Well, yes. <laughs> John Hurd, you wouldn't think, needed Sharknado. And that was kind of on his face, I think, a little bit. But yet, he signed the paycheck yep. and went... All right. <laughs> well, he so, passed away uh, not long after it, I don't think. Yeah, yeah, heart attack. Um, no, no, it was good to see John Hurt back on the screen. Um, I just, I never thought I would ever give any compliment to Ian Zeri. <laughs> I, I thought he would be lost to history, really. <laughs> like... You remember the show Beverly Hills 90210? I remember it existing. I remember I got suckered into watching an episode one night because they said they were going to kill off a character, but yeah. then they killed off like a completely tertiary character. I watched yeah. it with a girl. You know how it works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, I, it wasn't. It didn't feel like it was for me. 
I guess I couldn't even say that I watched enough of it that I didn't like it. It just didn't feel like it was a show for me. <laughs> no, no, it was more for the, the, the teeny bopper girl crowd. Yeah. Um, but you would have thought that actors like Jason Priestley or like Luke, what, what was his name, Luke? Um, Perry? Luke Perry, that they would have had, you know, even Shannon Doherty did have a career after this. But back then, even Ian Zierig and what was the, the, the other actor that was with him Tori Spelling uh, well, Tori Spelling's terrible but uh, Brian Austin Green that's the name I was trying to think of like they played douches on the show and you thought they would have like left there but no 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 we live in a world where those two are still working today and I don't know about Jason Priestley and well <laughs> Luke is dead and hey look I am in the minority Sharknado is definitely in the cultural conversation it made far more ripples than my movie ever did or will <laughs> so like Sharknado wins you know I'm just not on board and it seems like I should be because I love shark movies and I'm okay with a movie that's stupid and knows it's stupid but I don't know I don't know I didn't have a ton of fun with it you didn't howl with the shark goes through like the sewer gutter or something and like a or the water spout and like just goes down the room or like the shark flies in the air and the guy loses the arm and the shark keeps on eating him um, I will give it the point that like I didn't have necessarily the uh, need to like I want to turn this off I want to skip through this scene I want to like somehow get to the end credits quicker which is an impulse I sometimes feel when I'm not going with the movie like there is something about the movie that, if not keeps you invested, keeps you watching it for, like, what the next stupid failed attempt at spectacle is going to be. Yeah. But, um, again, this is a movie that was made to be laughed at. And maybe yeah. that's where my, my, my trust in it was a little bit shaken. Plan 9 from Outer Space, I don't think that, that anyone wanted that movie to suck. The happening when they made the movie, I think M. Night Shyamalan thought he was going to blow our minds again. Sharknado was made to be mocked. Okay, all right, but I guess like Evil Dead Two would would come to mind, where that film it was meant to. It, you're amazed by it, but there's also a sense of mockery. They know exactly. It is what, brilliantly executed. I don't yeah. think you could say that Sharknado is brilliantly yeah. executed. Yeah. And the movie just starts. There's like really no opening credits. It's just uh, about you know sharks intensely swimming. They get swatted. Like, swept up oh no that is the asylum's like raison d'etre like they do not bury the lead at all they will open on their monster there's no mystery to these movies we are big cheap and dumb enjoy us like there are a bunch of scenes that really have nothing to do with the plot that are just put in there i howled when they're once again they're on the freeway and then ian zerig finn who plays the character finn no less (laughs) sees a school bus and they spend 10 minutes of the movie rescuing these kids which i guess is a like a heroic thing that a hero would do but it's just not a very interesting sequence and it does go on oh and the more it went on the more i held man (laughs) even like even like the last part where he saves that teacher and you know it's coming where his line is my mom always told me that hollywood killed me Huh? You laughed, huh? I groaned. I think that's where we are on Sharknado. <laughs> Look, I, I, I freely admit that I saw this on the right day. Yeah. I freely admit this. I, and I'd never seen Sharknado. I think that was something else that intrigued me about this um, 
this this particular list was out of the six films I'd only actually ever seen one so I'm coming in a virgin <laughs> mostly all of them um, you're not wrong well uh, look I'm happy for you I'm glad that, that we're starting in a good place and again I've seen worse movies than Sharknados I just kind of like want to I'm trying to describe to people as best I can what that movie is yeah and I think if you're hearing that and saying gimme 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 I am not telling you not to watch Sharknado but I want you to go in knowing where you're going. Okay. You should go in and really apologize to your brain. Yeah. I mean, just just like tell your brain, I am so sorry. I promise we'll we'll read Love and War, <laughs> War and Peace when we're done or something to like stimulate your brain. Um, but we're going to sit down for 86 minutes of complete CGI crap. Um I think we could both make that same description, but for you, it's a good news, and for me, it is bad. Sure. Uh, yeah. I just. I guess I sort of. I knew what I was coming into. Like I knew it was. It was a sci-fi film. I wanted to know what all the fuss was about, and in a roundabout way, roundabout way, I kind of get it. Um, I understand completely why you hate this movie. Because yes. It is poorly edited. It has terrible CGI effects in it. The lines are terrible. I mean, I groaned at... I mean, we're agreeing, really. You just liked the bad stuff in it, and I did not. What, what, what was the young female character's name? Nova, I think her character Nova. was. I was cheering for her arc in the story for some reason. Yeah, I think she I... was a better match for Finn. So I guess I was invested in the story. Look at that. See? See? <laughs> and... But the movie doesn't give us that. <laughs> but, like, but when we see that scar on our leg, we knew that we were going to get the monologue <laughs> about how sharks somehow affected her life. And of course, they took her grandfather and they completely raped the USS Indianapolis scene. They literally steal no. lines from it. And I, just I think went, I, <laughs> we know where we are. This episode's going to be four hours long if we do a half an hour on each of these. <laughs> fine, fine. I'll, I'll stop loving Sharknado. I don't want you to stop loving Sharknado. I just think we've both made our case. Do you want to? Do you want to leave the audience with their final thought? I say go, 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 Sharknado. <laughs> Find the soundtrack, if nothing else. It has the ball of a Sharknado by the band Quint. I have a new favorite band. Way out in the desert. Further than the eye can see. Beyond all towns. All roads. Where few have ever been. Who'd put a welcome sign out here? The hills still have eyes. They'd already killed my mother my older sister and now the father is coming after us somebody's out by the bus
So this is not the first time Mr. Beckman and I have discussed Wes Craven, but it's unfortunate because when I talk about Hills Have Eyes 2, I, I, I have to enter the discussion like, is this the bottom? Does this outsuck Deadly Friend? <laughs> like, uh, does this outsuck Cursed? Does this outsuck My Soul to Take? Like, is it Wes Craven's Nader? Is it a. It's definitely guilty of, like, standard sequel flaws. Like, I don't mind you using the same characters from the original. In fact, it makes me feel more connected, but I want them to act realistically. Like, if these two kids had suffered through such a severe trauma as that, would they, under any circumstances, put themselves back in that position? Even if they'd invented a new super fuel that made their motorbikes drive super fast. Like, um, if you're going to do a sequel, I mean, I guess in the 80s you were allowed to do a patchwork of the previous film. But, again, the audience knows that they're being ripped off. And if you're going to do a sequel, honor what happened in the original. We have characters that clearly died in the first movie coming back. And on top of all of these sins, all of these general mistakes that I would slap against any sequel, the film itself, over and above those flaws, just doesn't work. And we'll probably talk about the dog flashback at some point. So, no, I mean, I know that this is a a list of troublesome movies that we're talking about here, and uh, we're not necessarily going to be talking on a love fest, but... Is it unkind of me to have included The Hills Have Eyes 2 in the company of Shark Exorcist and Plan 9 from Outer Space? Is it that bad after all is said and done? Well, where do I start? (laughs) Hollywood is all about inclusion. Inclusion rider, I think, was the term I heard back in the day on some horrible award show not too long ago. But Hollywood, you got it all wrong. You missed the boat way back in 1985. Because Wes Craven's The Hills Have Eyes Part 2 was this super inclusive horror film that gave, that basically gave one of its lead characters from the first, the game saving canine beast, its own flashback. And yes, I am going there first. Right. <laughs> Yes, they gave it to the dog. And they gave it with, with that 80s washy transition effect that was popular in TV at that time. Oh, like Wayne's World makes fun of it. Yeah, exactly. Which, of course, makes it even more embarrassing that the film takes place in the desert. But wait! I forgot about Beast and his dreamy flashback. And in, and in hindsight, I think they should have gone with a deep flashback for Beast. I think they should have started, like, you know, at his litter, you know, being born along with his, like, you know, sister beauty, and then, you know, they take him away, and he's put in, like, like a, like a dog-fighting ring, and then he escapes and reunites with his sister, only to, like, you know, be adopted into this family, and then the desert stuff happens. I kid, of course, because... <laughs> it would still, like, that would be a terrible sequel, but I think it would be 
a better sequel than what we got here. And this is the same year that Nightmare on Elm Street was released. And not only would you never believe the same guy directed Nightmare on Elm Street, directed The Hills Have Eyes 2, it's hard to believe the same guy that directed The Hills Have Eyes 1 directed The Hills Have Eyes 2. Um, and as far as the flashback, if we're going to go to it, like uh, both of the survivors get their flashback and then they cut, they, they do a zoom in on the dog. And yes, believe it or not, the dog will have his flashback too. I don't know how that was supposed to be anything but hilarious, but it's not original. It was done. There was a rabbit flashback in Watership Down and there's a monkey flashback in Being John Malkovich several years later. I mean... There's a rich tapestry of films which use the animal flashback. I believe in Meet the Feebles, there's a bunny that has uh, flashbacks to his experiences in Vietnam. But it has no place in this movie. I get that they were trying to like hard cut images and, and scenes from the previous movie to like extend their running time to feature length. But there had to be a better way. There had to be a better way. Absolutely. Look, let's talk about that flashback for a second. And these are just part of the problems with the movie itself. Self, um, you know, legend has it is that they started filming the movie and then they ran out of money, uh, and then they went and made Nightmare on Elm Street, and it was the big hit. And then the studio New Line said, "We we want you to like, somehow finish this movie and release it." But he only had about an hour worth of you know of film of essential story if and you can so, call it that yeah yeah <laughs> if that, um he then decided to come up with hey let's let's put in some flashbacks from the original movie to pad that run time run time and it is such a horrible decision it i think it works maybe like with the first flashback when our lead protagonist from the first film who wisely only shows up in the first, I'd say, 10 minutes. He has a flashback that works, but everyone else's, it's, it just seems so misguided. And at one point, I even, you know, turned to the other person watching the movie with me and said, do you know, like, whose flashback is this? Does and it matter? Does it, it matter? Yeah. Like, again, I, if they're this traumatized that they live in the memory of it, why are they back there? Give us a good reason other than a motorcycle race. And again, to be picky, and I know like it was filmed a few years before it was released, but even in the early 80s, I think the whole dirt bite motorcycle evil Knievel thing had well played its hand culturally. Like, Like, it just wasn't a good enough reason to get them back in the desert. If the movie had started with the survivors warning these kids not to go there, but the kids went there anyway, maybe, but like, no. No. Yeah. I wanted to talk about Michael Berryman. Okay, well, I just, I wanted to get to the, I, I, I wasn't done with the flashback. I apologize. Michael Berryman. So, if you look at the flashback, um, it is such poorly constructed, because you have, like, Pluto and Big Daddy, uh, whatever that other character's name, running down this path, and then, and then we see the dog Beast, and he is, like, sitting, just waiting, waiting for his cue. Like, it's so clearly that there's some person off-screen giving him, giving the dog cues and get ready to attack. Like, it just, it's like little attention to details that things you pick up, uh, pick up along the way that it just, it feels so poorly constructed. 
Anyways, um, when you're when you're spending this much of your movie telling us about the previous better movie, you're yeah. sharing the same territory as like Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Two. All due yeah. respect to my brother Scott Lehman, who who loves that movie. Uh, yeah. I, I I get its charm, but I wouldn't want to emulate that as another yeah. filmmaker in any <laughs> exactly. Um, Michael Berryman was clearly clearly killed. Yep. in the first movie and I get that he's got that I don't know what the uh, skin condition is where the, 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 the flesh on his skull just sort of hangs differently and he has a very distinct kind of creepy look until you like get to know the guy when you hear him talk he seems like a very normal person but you totally get why he's in a lot of horror movies playing these yeah. like boogeymen yeah. but he had his throat torn out by a dog, and it was a big plot point of the first movie. Yeah. I get that you sort of saw him as, like, your main villain and, like, the thing that was going to be a big draw to your horror movie. But if you yeah. needed him back that badly, either A, make it a prequel, or B, yeah. he had a twin brother. Like, yeah. those seem obvious choices, but he yeah. just survived having his throat torn out. Yeah. I don't know, like... I maybe one of these things I would have let go of. I would have let go of our protagonists being really stupid because we needed uh, the sequel to happen. Or I would have let go of just the flashbacks. Or I would have let go of them just disrespecting what happened in the first movie. All of these things are happening right away in the movie. And even if you love the first Hill Have Eyes, it's daring you to keep watching it even before the quote fun starts. And when the fun starts, like, when the movie actually gets to the nuts and bolts of the slasher aesthetic or, you know, the, the sort of one family versus the other family aesthetic, did the thrills work? No. No. No, really. no look. Um, At a minimum, like, yeah. something should have worked. Like, yeah. even in, in Deadly Friend, we laughed at it. Um, now, I think when we were talking about it beforehand, I said, if someone told me right now I had to watch either Hills Have Eyes 2 or Deadly Friend right now again, I might yeah. say Hills Have Eyes 2 just based on the running time, but uh, yeah. it's it's tough. And I don't like talking shit out of, about a filmmaker I respect, but yeah. there's well, not a lot of positives to find here. <laughs> well, no. Look... I'd be curious to see like what stuff Craven didn't film, but I could almost guarantee that we'd probably be having the same sort of conversation. No, look, when the first his heart out, just doesn't seem in it at all. And yeah. if I can feel that watching it, that is that that's bad. Okay, so what made the first Hills such a horror classic, at least in your eyes? Well, the dynamics of like the two families that sort of cross paths. The way the you know hill folks see it, they these trespassers just uh, they they're a food source, right? But um, they've 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 come to a place that they shouldn't, and it becomes like this very intensely personal war between these two tribes, and one is supposedly more civilized than the other, but in order to defend itself and fight back, you know, they both kind of become monsters and. The stakes are constantly being ratcheted up higher. The performances are strong. And after the trailer sequence in that first movie, there's a real palpable sense of what the fuck what else is going to happen. Like, you are scared for what this movie is going to subject you to after a point. 
and yeah, no, none absolutely. of those stakes are present none of those performances are present and like even when the bad shit happens and like uh, you know some woman gets her throat cut terribly and it's like I should be horrified by it I'm just feeling like well we're one victim closer to the credits rolling like I just don't emotionally connect to anything going on at no, any ab- point. Yeah, no, absolutely. What, what made the original work on that primal horrific level was the, there was this innocent next door family that was literally raped and ravaged. Like an audience they hadn't seen that in a while. Like Exorcist and Chainsaw Ugly with just a side order of straw dogs. Like they and say some- revenge stories are like base base movies kind of simplistic and they sort of appeal to our, our sort of darker nature but like yeah. the, but it's pushed big... to such a degree in that first movie yeah. like it, it, it it's memorably hardcore and dark yeah. like and we yeah, both back... placed it high in the highest in, in the, the best horror movies of the 70s like I do not mean to like shit talk Hills Have Eyes number one and same writer same director again like you'd think yeah. that he would want if he you know even if he's making this for money you wouldn't think he would go into it saying whatever let's make a shitty hills have eyes movie but that's kind of what it feels like watching yeah. it it's, it, re- it reminds me of this story though like and this is, it has to do with the sequel itself that you know one f- filmmaker told john Borman, and, and he was just about to set off to make the exorcist 2 that you would have to out vomit the original one yeah so how would you go about topping the winnebago sequence because that one like, that sequence is now infamous in horror cinema lore. Hardcore it, it, horror fans have a hard time with that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Like you would have to bring the pain in some sort of uh, way and a very unpleasant way. And sadly, the film doesn't do that. Doesn't even I try think, to. Yeah. I think it's also an error uh, making this time your red shirts or heroes, if you will, uh, a bunch of horny teens. Like in the original, you had a, you, you had this this you know nice little you know family family next door family if you will anytime Um, somebody died it was a family member yeah yeah and like and you feel those deaths yeah you know with with the with the those sort of oversex horny teens you're like you're you're so annoyed by them that you're literally counting down until pluto or big papa whatever reaper uh is you know having their you know sharpening their knives and getting their hands already so you don't care that when these people die at all and it's just all these sort of cliches of of the slasher films that none of the first have like i would see the first film as sort of the survival horror grindhouse film where this is very much a slasher then you even bring in harry manfrandini the guy who did the 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 score for friday and it's got that familiar like twinkle sound that the Friday series has. It it, it just it like it's not a slasher film, and it is. It shouldn't be a slasher film, and it is. Um, as well, um, maybe this was you, but how long did it take you to figure out that our lead character was blind? Uh, <laughs> it wasn't really well established, was it? No, like. <laughs> Poor Tamara Stafford. Like I said, it took me about half to was she blind. I hadn't quite clued in, like, you know, how she was feeling her boyfriend's face and everything. Yeah, like, she's not good. And does that help the movie? Is there a sequence where the fact that she doesn't have her sight adds to the terror in any way? 
Well, it was supposed to in the climax when she's down in the basement and, you know, feeling along the way and she feels all those dead bodies. But at that point, I just didn't care. Yeah. And the fact that she's not very good, you can even see her eyes, you know, crack along the way, not like a blind person would have. That like it just takes you out of it. <laughs> well, uh, the only the only investment I had in the movie was this: I'll be really pissed off if you kill Beast. Yeah. <laughs> I, and, I I was bummed as I am always bummed in the first movie that there was two dogs and one of them got killed. Um, but uh, you know, Beast had no real choice in whether or not he was being brought along. He was brought along, you know. So. I was glad that they didn't kill the dog, and I would have hated the movie more had they done that. But that's well, all that the movie had to keep me engaged. Error. There's a continuity error, because as she's down in the basement and feeling along, there is a dog, there is a German Shepherd hung up. So I went, oh, beast, but then fast-track to the ending. There he is. Have, there he is with our two heroes walking off. And the very long and tracking shot, well, which clearly, which clearly would have been cut for time. Like it's just, wow. I have done enough bad uh, sort of variety shows or whatever, uh, sort of scripted or half improv shows that I know what it feels like to vamp and eat the clock in a show, and I feel that throughout The Hills Have Eyes. It's this, yeah. It, it's it's just. It offends me because, A, I know what Wes Craven is capable of and that I see him and feel him not giving a shit. And, like, that is kind of unprecedented. Say what you will, like, he was trying to make something out of the mess that was cursed. And, like, uh, it might have been misguided, but my soul to take, I didn't feel like he was sleepwalking through it. I just think that his script wasn't as good as he thought it was, you know? In yeah. this case, he didn't give a fuck. So why should I? Well, and here's something else. And I, I mean, you've made a movie, Larry, so you know about director of photography. Yeah. I could not see the actors half the time because the lighting was so bad in this film. I a lot of that, was, too. I mean, I, I'm sure it was the execution, but I find of that age of late 70s and early 80s, cheap film the some of the night shots or the dark shots really don't seem to hold up at all like they just look like shadows upon shadows at times i agree but that is a problem not exclusive to this movie (laughs) yeah i i had to re like i had to rewind it three times to figure out what pushed pluto off that big rock only to realize that it was in fact beast and it was sort of like this double you know tap dog tap that the dog had done to push the actor like off uh, the cliff. Yeah, but I couldn't. I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. It was well. And like, did he die? Because clearly, death doesn't matter in this universe. <laughs> yeah, no, like a lot. Of, a lot of problems are with the script. You would have to like out savage the Winnebago scene, and you would have to care about the people that die. You don't care about the people that, that die. Yeah. And, and then we get this ludicrous ending, and, you know, kudos for the rocket fuel, where <laughs> they trap uh, our, the Reaper, if you will. Yeah, um, our new big bad. Circle, yeah, the big bad in the circle of fire. And, of course, he runs to the bus at this point and then only realizes, wait, what's this? Rocket fuel! No! Boom. 
the faraway shot with the bus blowing up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. No. <laughs> this film is bad. No. Bad. And I don't know what more needs to be said. Like, if you haven't seen Hills Out of Eyes 2, like, I, I bought it basically because I was sort of trying to complete my Wes Craven collection. But again, I guess sort of like I said when we reviewed The Last House on the Left, after having reviewed it for this show and having rewatched it, like I can't imagine watching it again. And and like you're a sequel to The Hills Have Eyes, dude. You're a sequel. Have to some the Hills fucking Have pride. Eyes. Like the violence is toothless. It, Have like, some self-respect. Yeah, like with the exception of like of the of the one actor getting her throat slit. All the other deaths I think that either happen off screen. Even like the sister who like was part of the family in the first one who yeah. comes back. I didn't even know she was dead. Like she just has this weird scene where this trap kind of like hits her and she falls. I had to like rewind going, When did she die? Ruby, yes. When Ruby finally dies, it was like, She's dead? Like not since the predator when the, when the other character died, I went, What? Yeah. What? Should we care? We we should, right? Because yeah. that should have mattered. And, yeah. yeah, nothing matters. Nothing else matters. Good enough? Good enough. It is safe to state that the grandchildren of some of the people in this dinner will not be born on Earth. come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead, zombies guided by a master plan for complete domination of the earth. Plan 9 from outer space. Starring the most frightmarish cast ever, Bella Lugosi, the seductive vampira, and Thor Johnson as the walking dead. Turn off your electro gun! No! No! Stop him, Dennis! I can't get it! It's Jeff! Stop him, you fool! Bullets bounce off their bodies. Rockets, missiles, jets cannot stop their death ships. What earthly power can stop this terror? For a glimpse of things to come, see this blast of screen suspense. For it could be happening right now. So 1957, I hope I'm right about the year. I, I want to say 1957. I don't know if it is unfair to say it, but the classic Plan 9 from Outer Space from Ed Wood. <laughs> this is a science fiction movie, I guess. I think it's probably more of an unintentional comedy about aliens coming to Earth and initiating Plan 9, which has something to do with resurrecting the dead to then yep. taking over the Earth and then yep. profit. But yep. this is not a plot movie, like, like at all. <laughs> the, the experience of this movie is stop wanting or expecting anything from it. <laughs> like, yep. scene to scene, moment to moment, 
there is such a uniformity to the amateur, to the uncomfortable, to the just incompetence wall to wall going on that it really does genuinely magically transform into something transcendently amusing. So when it's included on like worst movies ever, I get what they're saying. I get that the acting is terrible. I get that the screenplay is just brutal and the production design is at best sloppy. And even that the director, despite how Tim Burton likes to sort of frame him as a man who's so drunk in love with cinema that he is, you know, taken over by his own spell. I feel like a director willing to serve his audience this poor Emil has to, on some level, not respect them. <laughs> so how, after all of this, how, after all of this, can I say, I don't think it's one of the worst movies of all time because I enjoy watching it. I laugh at it, not yeah. with it. I've done scenes from this movie for like a drama exercise like you're an actor and you've been handed a terrible script do your best and as a clinical study of how not to make a movie or just to see how something can go spectacularly wrong this is absolutely worth watching and because it's less than 80 minutes long it doesn't necessarily although it does feel its length it doesn't overstay its welcome in the way that some of the really truly awful movies i've experienced do oh yes i was taking the ride i guess with the movie now the tricky part is like do i like the movie after all those mean things that i've said and that's what we'll talk about but i guess i enjoy this movie because it's bad and that's where i stand But I'd love to hear where Beckman lands. I'm in love, Larry. (laughs) (laughs) This was your first viewing. Yeah, no, I hadn't seen this before. I had seen Ed Wood back in the day, and I love that Tim Burton movie. I'm sure some of it is very sugar-coated, but I don't care. I don't know. I was just guessing, but... This is the kind of film that, like, Max Fisher from Rushmore would do as a play. Right. (laughs) Which would remind me that, like, my friends and I, we did, we like, we, we attempted to do a stage version of Predator for our school. Right. We did it, but with, like, no sets and, like, very little sound effects. But I'll get to that later. Oh, man. Um, I, 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 I told Jolene that, you know, I, I might leave you for a little while just because I'm cheating on her with Plan 9 from Outer Space. I, I want to, like, actually read back to you one of the lines of this most meandering screenplay. <laughs> Colonel Tom Edwards, in charge of saucer field activities, whatever that is, was to make the greatest decision of his career. He made that decision. Colonel Edwards gave the signal to fire. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> wow. I think that line sort of signifies uh, the film just aptly. It's like the it's like the, the flying saucer. It's like it's the flying saucer with strings. It's the meandering script. It's the ongoing battle sequences with the army versus saucers. It's the captain obvious narrative. I love that narrative. Oh my god! <laughs> Even when he's like, like he's like egging the viewers on at the end of the movie. Of course, it's true. It's, it's believable. The the bookends of the narrator, like the bookends of the narrator. It's the like night to day continuity errors. It's the villain monologuing. Oh my god! Oh. 
Well, and it's all built out of these weirdly interesting characters, but they're interesting sort of for their life around them and the world outside. Like, uh, Bella Lugosi had died. (laughs) So he used some previously shot footage and spliced some very unconvincing, you know, doubles to have him in the movie. And I believe that he was legitimately friends with Bella Lugosi. But tell me yeah. that there's not something a little bit gross about that, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah gross? I don't know. Um, like, the film they were trying to do was a film called The Vampire's Tomb. Um, who knows whether uh, Edward Jr. was manipulating Lugosi towards the end. Do you? Like, do you want to take that sort of... I don't know. Like, again, I wasn't there, but I'm just saying to defend my approach, like... Vampira by herself, an interesting character, but she only agreed to do the money for a quick payday and on the condition that she didn't have to say anything. Tor Johnson is a really beloved physical wrestler sort of performer, but uh, his his performance in this movie is just a clinic in bad acting, right? Well, the lines he's given, like like the dialogue alone at some point, like it just could sort of meanders off into weird obvious statements I, I got him it's been a while since i've loved a, a bad movie this much criswell the guy that you say that who bookends the movie that yeah. uh, jeffrey jones plays in the tim burton movie yeah. like he himself really interesting bizarre guy doesn't contribute anything to the movie no uh, i i appreciate the sort of roughneck spirit of edward but I think he's a percentage sort of scummier and sleazier than, like I say, he was maybe represented in the movie. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a sleazier angle to it. But, say what you will, he got a church to fund Plan 9 from Outer Space. Yes. He got all of these people together, and even though none of them had any skill, he had a film that he made in 1957, which is still being talked about today and will continue to be talked about into the future. So, in a way, Plan 9 is bulletproof. Like, when I call it a classic, I'm kind of serious. It is the classic bad movie. So bad, it's good. Yeah. Um, I'm taking, in some ways, what we have. I mean, here's another question for you, Sir Parsons. You've made a, a feature-length movie. At any point, did you worry that you were going to make something as epically bad as Plan 9 from Outer Space? Um, I worried that I was going to make a, a movie that I wasn't happy with uh, or that um, might be perceived as, you know, amateurish or whatever. I guess I had my own insecurities about it. But I didn't think I was making a catastrophe. And... Uh, I think at that point, making the movie, the worst failure would be to not finish the movie. At that point, I would rather have made a mediocre movie or even a bad movie than have just failed to make a movie altogether. Yeah. Uh, And there is something sort of about desperately crawling over the finish line. And my guess is that's where a lot of not-so-great movies come from. Either they run out of money at a time or... uh, yeah, too many cooks, right? They just get bullied out of the movie they were making. Yeah. Well... I Neither agree. of which I think happened here. <laughs> See, I do agree there's this sort of sort of Jack Shoulder mentality of shoot first, ask questions later. And I think very much that Edward D. Wood, Woodward Jr., I think his full name is, uh, was very much that. But, 
you know, he came together and made this madcap of, of, of like, just this on, monstrosity of a film that is just inept at filmmaking at all sort of levels. I just, I can't, I can't bring the hate to it. No. And again, I'm trying, this isn't necessarily hate. Um, I, I do, like I said, enjoy watching the movie. Uh, and I really enjoy the movie Ed Wood. I just suspect that our vision of this movie and of Ed Wood himself is a little bit colored by that particular portrayal. Okay, you know what? I will agree with that. Yeah. Um, and it's hard for me to not associate the two things because that's when I really first discovered Plan 9 from Outer Space. I yeah. knew that Ed Wood was going to do uh, a movie about... I, at the time, I thought it was a movie just about Plan 9 from Outer Space. I didn't realize it was like sort of a mini biopic of Ed Wood. But the whole thing is shot in the style of Plan 9 from Outer Space. Yes. So I kind of watched it originally as homework <laughs> for that movie, for the Ed Wood movie. And I agreed that it was terrible. And then, like I said, the drama class, we had that assignment where we did scenes from, from Plan 9 from Outer Space. <clears throat> and then I just randomly bumped into it again. Debray gave me a copy of this not that long ago, actually, because for whatever reason, I didn't have my own physical copy. And here we are reviewing it. For a bad movie, I've seen it a lot of times. Like, unless it's, I don't know, something that you just guilty pleasure love, or it's like part of a franchise, Friday the 13th, usually if a movie is infamously, shamefully, oh my God, incompetently bad, it's not something that you revisit. But Plan 9 is the movie you want to show to someone who hasn't seen it. That's its yeah. weird power. Yep. Yep. Yep, no. Um, God, I love the main villains, by the way. I love the aliens. <laughs> the aliens are just amazing. Like, and, like, I think Tanner. Oh, God, what is it? I know Eros is, like, is the guy who does like the long, long monologue. And talks about how stupid, stupid, stupid humans are. <laughs> oh, God. Is it Edith? Maybe. Yeah. The uh, aliens, by the way, look no, just Anna, exactly like Anna. people. That was his, like, female companion. What was her name? Tana. Tana, okay. T-M-N-A. Yeah, they do uh, look pretty much just like humans. There's nothing spectacular about the aliens at all. No, and the greeting is also lovely. <laughs> beating their chest like oh <laughs> it's yeah there are small lovely details throughout it you can see the edge of the sets in a couple of shots there's Larry, I love this movie I love this movie I'm bobbing my buttered belly on the cover right now buddy you have no idea stock footage awkward Dude. performances no, oh, she, like, the, oh, like, the funeral scene with, like, Bella Lugosi, she kills it in this movie. I love it. <laughs> Just, like, the like the, the overacting, the, uh, and looking up at the sky. Mm, mm, mm. It's not uncomfortably bad, at least not always. Yeah. It's sort of changes in scene for scene in how it's approaching the badness. Yeah. I don't know. It's it, it really is like uh, almost found art. Here's a weird thing that I had myself thinking about last time I watched the movie. Okay. Do you know the movie Blow? Yes. With Johnny Depp and Ray Liotta? Yes. 
there's a scene between a father and son in that movie that made me that for some reason popped into my head watching Ed Wood or thinking about Ed Wood and how the fuck he managed to make this movie and get his friends involved with it and like I say have a church finance it and like how did he do it how did he make this happen how what kind of force of will do you have and in Blow Ray Liotta says to his son who's Johnny Depp just confesses to his dad I'm really good at this dad I'm really good at it and his dad responds, yes, son, but I think you would have been good at anything. <laughs> and I think Edward's power was like, he could get shit done somehow. He was yeah. a guy who could get shit done. The quality of that shit, well, was shit. <laughs> yeah. But give him his due respect, man. He yeah. got shit done. <laughs> See, I have this theory that all good directors and or, and when I mean good directors, I don't mean like directors that make good movies. I mean people that are somewhat organized enough. Like Yui Bowl has a longer list of like uh, a, a longer, he's got, a, he has a track of movies that he's made. He's not a good filmmaker, but there's a certain con man angle, I think to almost every sort of filmmaker where at some point you have to convince a group or people of people to give you money so you could, tell like sand shark yeah. or the pastor like just so yeah was edward wood probably a, a comment of sorts but aren't they all in some sort of way and he created something like i said that love it or hate it has endured i mean he wrote the line he wrote the line modern women they've been like that all they've been like that all down through the ages <laughs> Like, it's an oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs> or, 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 now, don't you worry. The saucers are up there and the graveyard is out there. But I'll be locked up safely in there. Like, just, what? Oh. oh. I like in the graveyard scene where you can actually see some of the graves sort of flopping. Yeah. They even have a character called Patrolman Larry, Larry. Yep. They have a character called Patrolman Larry with, well... That is why you're a detective lieutenant and I'm still a uniformed officer. I'm, it's the type of movie where a police officer will scratch his forehead with the butt of his gun. Yep. <laughs> yep. See? <laughs> I think this movie was a gift from the cinematic gods. <laughs> I really do. They, they just, they, of, of course, like, he didn't know what he was doing. Like, yeah. he, he's of, like, like I said, the Jack Shoulder School of Shooting. Cut print, you know, even like Cohen, well, wait, not Rob Cohen, um, Larry Cohen, Larry Cohen. Like, these people need to be celebrated at some sort of level, yeah. But I think that, like, the Larry Cohen's of the world basically they're guilty of being too ambitious with their budgets, and there's yeah. something charming about that. And I think that a lot of the times, those kind of filmmakers can pull something off in spite of themselves, yeah. Again, I'm not sure that Edward pulled this off, but something happened here. Some sort of magical, you know, modern art masterpiece was created by sheer fate. Yep. Good enough? Yep. Oh, yeah. What about that weird, annoying siren sound? That's something that else I don't quite get, but yeah, no. Good enough. <laughs> there appears to be an event happening. some kind of attack.
first stage is muscle speech. Claire. Claire? The second stage is physical disorientation. The third stage is fatal. M. Night Shyamalan and The Happening. I think that for me, this is where like my hope for Shyamalan officially died. Like it got rocky for me with the village. I really didn't like Lady in Water. But The Happening is a wall to wall kind of catastrophe that Shyamalan himself needs to own. Because the real problem is the script. And I think that I'm going to start saying three nice things and then I'll spend the rest of the review saying terrible things. Okay. As a concept, the idea of a plague of mass suicide, something that's catching in the air that just comes upon you like a wave, kind of creepy. The imagery that comes with it, all the hanging bodies, people falling off of skyscrapers or dropping themselves out of skyscrapers. Yeah. Really macabre, really troubling. Yeah. And, um, you know, the idea of this sort of as an apocalyptic scenario or a setup for it yeah. is sound. I think it could have been a good movie. So on top of the really problematic screenplay and the bad performances and the nonsense that I'm sure we will talk about, it's also got that frustrating layer to it that it maybe could have been something. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's where I start. Like um, this one, it's it's not like a, a failed adaptation like the uh, Airbender, the last Airbender, or, you know... Um, uh, a sort of vanity piece for Will Smith and his son with the the Alien movie or whatever. This is very much an M. Night Shyamalan joint. Yep. And it is pretty universally derided. Yep. Like, there are memes of Mark Wahlberg sucking in this movie. <laughs> he even came out and, like, trashed this movie. I think it was a couple, like, a year or two later. And you get it. You get it, how it would be a, a tough one to be in. I think the famous quote from Wahlberg was that he was just grateful to be offered a part where he wasn't a crook or a cop. Yep. And I guess I get that instinct as an actor, but I would also say, play to your strengths, dude. You got nominated as an for an Oscar for Dignan in uh, The Departed. Yep. You got noticed in like The Basketball Diaries and Boogie Nights basically playing assholes. <laughs> He's good at high-energy, macho, asshole characters. That's kind of his bread and butter. And I think his performance in The Happening is the best evidence we've had to maybe he should stick to his lane. <laughs> is that unkind? No. No. No, that's not... You're just being honest, Larry. But everybody's bad in this movie. Even actors I like. Betty Buckley, who I usually like, even though she's kind of a big actress, I think she's overplaying her hand in this. And the, sorry, who is she? She's the old woman towards the end of the movie that serves them supper. 
and that uh, has that whole line, you guys are planning to kill me in my sleep. Ma'am, no. (laughs) No. (laughs) So this was your first take on the happening, my second take on the happening. Where does the Beckman land? Well, I'm going to start off with a quote from the great Sir Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott once said that it takes only one scene to wreck a movie. He should have been talking about this film when he made that reference. <laughs> but it's, every scene's a tie, though. <laughs> there are there are many scenes that wreck this movie. Um, the Happening is a deeply frustrating movie, at least for me. It kind of captures captures what is both wrong and right with with the works of M Night Shyamalan. Because I do agree with you, the setup of the, of the film is great and handled well. Two friends are like reading in Central Park and they're reading the same book when one notices something is wrong and soon after the other friend stabs herself with like with a hair giant in and presumably dies and then it cuts to that construction uh, site scene where people are jumping off the roof brutally. Those two scenes are executed well. And it's a setup that there's a scary problem and it's fast. And then it cuts to our hero, Marky Mark, as a science teacher. And he opens his mouth. <laughs> and you just go, something is really off. <laughs> the scene is not poorly written. It's just that Mark Wahlberg is poorly cast. <laughs> Both him and Zooey Dachanel are terribly miscast in this movie. But again, I would, I would argue that the script is bad. It has all, like, Matt and I recently talked about in our Kids and Crocs episode. Yeah. If there's a dire situation, and then as far as these people know, this could be global. Yeah. This could be the end of the world. Yep. Why does it always come down to, I cheated on you, or I almost cheated on you, or I thought about cheating on you, and it's some petty personal conflict? Oh, oh. I, I agree with you that the screenplay is deeply deeply problematic and one of the main reasons why this doesn't work. But like, who could pull it off? I don't think Josh Chanel's good in the movie, but as I said in my opening, I don't think anybody's good in the movie. She's just a big, big pair of floating blue eyes in the movie as far as I'm concerned. I think, I think stronger actors could have done something with it. You obviously have to get rid of some scenes. Like, I, I don't disagree with you that the screenplay is terrible, yeah. um, but I just, I had for both of them, voice lessons. <laughs> voice lessons. Marky Mark, when it, especially when he gets like nervous or upset, it's that high-pitched octave, like, oh my god, oh my god, <laughs> no, the plants, the plants. Like, it's just, it's this high... I, I remember me in high school whenever I got, like, angry or upset during, you know, acting. My voice was so high! <laughs> and, like, there's just, like, no... <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Like, there's just no... I don't know if it's no believability. It's just, it's grating to hear both of them talk. <laughs> well, and again, in a story like this, like an apocalyptic story, and you know how I, I love zombie movies, for instance, yeah. for a familiar template... Usually we settle on one group of survivors, but usually there's a reason that we settle on one group of survivors. Maybe it's the place that they're at. Maybe it's the role that they play. Maybe they know what the cure is. 
maybe they're part of ground zero you know who knows whatever choice you make you choose to follow this group of people for a reason and typically you try to make some of those people likable yeah i neither understand why we chose this group of people nor do i like them i mean they keep on bumping into other people who theorize we have to assume correctly about what's going on but Marky Mark doesn't accomplish anything. In the end, he basically steps out into the air to die. Uh, <laughs> it's absurd. And the reason that I put it all on Shyamalan, is like as much as the cast should be and are embarrassed about it, yes. he should have known that it was absurd. Like, when you're shooting a scene where the wind is, is representing, you know, the... the this, I don't know, whatever, the pollen or the chemical being spread in the air. Yeah. Basic, fundamental logic question. You step outside, Beckman. Is it windy? Yeah. Oh, hey. It's I either windy that... or it's not. You cannot chase or be chased by the wind. It's yeah, a ridiculous notion. It's, yeah, a ri- it's right next to blade outrunning light. Like, it is so fucking stupid that of all the hundred people on set that nobody mentioned that to Shyamalan is kind of embarrassing. Yep. Yep. You should probably, like, you told the the, the whole plot, did you not? It was, there's a case of mass suicide. I guess I didn't get into the plants. We can talk about the plants. yeah by all means yeah (laughs) the movie is already spoiled it arrives pre-spoiled but we'll Well, give it all away to you here (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. like well before we get to the plants there's this side story with the dachanel character where she's had this emotional affair and they do kind of set it up a little bit with the mood ring like the setup with the mood ring i thought okay this is gonna come back and it'll be fine but they have this emotional uh, side narrative with this affair and it's it's just done for like the wrong reasons <laughs> and there's like, obviously the chasing with the wind which is like just i don't know whether it, it might have looked like sounded good on paper but the execution is so ridiculous and she comes clean to him right before this scene okay fine not bad and then about half an hour later they're coming to this house and he decides to like do this lie that we know right away the second you say it, it's a lie it's done like it's handled so immaturely yeah. that don't feel sorry for him at all and kind of understand why that maybe she felt unfulfilled i think the shyamalan cheesy sentimentality which i think he's going for a spielbergian thing when he tries this it yes. has worked for him in the past it yes. did work for him in the sixth sense. It did work for him in signs. Yes. It, it, you know, it worked for him enough in signs that, like, as much as I'm conflicted about the ending, I have positive things to say a lot about that movie. Well, like, I, yeah. r- here you have potential. And even some of the scenes, the first two scenes that you mentioned are really good, but some of them aren't. This viral yeah. video of a guy feeding himself to lions? Yeah. Terrible. Not credible, bad special effects, not convincing, like, and again, after a while of seeing random person kill themselves, they have shock moments at a time, but 
We don't know any of these people. We're not invested with any of these people. Every now and then we just cut to a random scene of people we don't know dying. And it just, yeah. it doesn't mean anything. It means less than it would in a derided slasher movie. Because at least in a derided slasher movie, we would have established with this character in some but, way. No, absolutely. And it's hand, that scene is handled so clumsily. It's like um, John Leguizamo yep. and Mark Wahlberg have that little girl with them. Uh, like like it was I was a little girl, which we know that eventually um, Wahlberg and Dashanel will be the pseudo parents of this little girl. And all of a sudden, this guy comes out of nowhere. Hey, have you seen this? Right in their girl's uh, eye view, something that she totally should not see. Have you seen this little girl? And proceeds to show this scene of these lions killing this person. Although I have to give shout out to the most ridiculous suicide scene ri- rivaling probably maximum overdrive for one of the most ridiculous the guy turning on the lawnmower and then <laughs> laying down in his pad is so bad I like that they held that shot longer than you thought they would yeah it was one of those things where you, like you were just anticipating them to cut away and they didn't yeah. and I, I guess I appreciated that at the risk of saying something positive about the movie but I have trouble. Like, honestly, maybe Shyamalan was secretly brilliant and his plan was that he would make a movie so confounding that the premise would manifest and audience members would kill themselves to escape the movie. (laughs) Well, you stuck the the nail on the head a little bit. There's so many ridiculously bad scenes that it kills any tension or or any horror or any sense of dread like you're like you're just gobsmacked so you can't get into any possible tension the movie wants you to feel and any sort of like any sort of connection or sentimental note that you want for the characters um it doesn't work and yeah. it's not like like as you said earlier it's not that like even spielberg is has fallen into the saccharine before but he creates enough balance that when we get to the big scene, whether it's E.T. waking up or... There's a payoff. Towards the end, that like you feel it. So when we get that ridiculous scene with the mood ring at the end where they step outside to kill themselves, but it's their love that makes them survive the plants. Because, you know... Uh, by the way, making that decision, as far as they knew, they're killing themselves. So for the sake of being together and for the sake of love, they're allowing that child to die. Shall we shall we talk about the scene with the plastic plant, Larry? Oh my god. Like, we could have almost... Like, no, please, go ahead. Thoughts. No, 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 no. I was just winding you up. Okay. There was, like, there was an awful scene, Larry. <laughs> we all know what we're talking about. It has nothing to do with the overall narrative. It's just there. I'm going to set it up, and then I'm going to let you just... <laughs> just go. Um, let, uh, for the folks at home who have not seen this, then this is, I think, the reason why you should watch The Happening. Not the whole movie, but just this. At one point, they figure out from this ex- exposition character called The Hot Dog Man, which, which is just lazy. Yep, bad writing. Uh, that it's the plants releasing this toxin, which is, of course, getting people to kill themselves. So Mark Wahlberg and his family have run into this show home where everything is fake, and he proceeds to do this sort of please don't and he sees a plant this giant plant and proceeds to have a monologue with it 
Like as if talking to, I don't know what he's thinking. Like by talking to one plant will be a megaphone to all plants, but it's so hilarious. His delivery is like how I would imagine a child actor on his first day would deliver a line reading. Like we're just going to use the bathroom and we're going to go. And I hope that's okay. (laughs) And it's like so ridiculous in a movie that is trying so earnest to be like, you know, profound and environmental, right? This is the plants punishing us, right? For being bad. I love that shot when they come into the last act of the movie, uh, all of the show homes, the sign above it says, you deserve this. (laughs) (laughs) Real subtle, real subtle. But... (laughs) He ends up giving this passionate monologue to the plant and then realizing that it's a plastic plant. So, like, there's no payoff to it. There's nothing not stupid about the scene from its concept to its writing to its execution. And it's, like, an absolute clinic in bad acting. There's no reason it's not on the cutting room floor. There is lots of scenes on the cutting room floor. If you get the DVD, there's plenty of stuff. Lots of (laughs) B-roll. Like... What the fuck is it doing in the movie? <laughs> like, you understand why the plants are taking over. They're not <laughs> mad at the people for destroying the planet. They're mad because they're just that fucking stupid. Well, and I, I go to the uh, director's cut ending of Little Shop of Horrors, where the plants take over the world, but it's yep. kind of funny and almost joyous. Like, yep. we're a bunch of selfish people, and an even more selfish breed is going to come overtake us. Let's yeah. enjoy the ride. But you yeah. can't even have this at the end. Like, Wahlberg does nothing heroic or, or nothing uh, climactic at the end of the movie. The happening starts and then it stops. Yeah. But that would be a bad enough ending as it were. But yeah. then they give us the happy ending of the happening in France. So now the plants are going to kill French people. It's not a happening. It's a mercy killing. There's, there's, and it's not just Shyamalan or the actors. There's for sleek looking production because I, I haven't seen the other movies yet. But I'm gonna go out on a limb and probably say, like, out of all of the films, this is probably the sleekest production value out of all the movies. Am I wrong? It is the most professional and somehow one of the most incompetent. And for sleek-looking production, there are some odd choices. <laughs> so the great Tak Fujimoto photographed this film. Yep. This is the guy who DP'd Signs of the Lambs. Right. I can still rem- remember some of those shots of Clarice and Hannibal staring at each other like Predator and Prey. <laughs> and here we have some shots of close-ups of Wahlberg and Dachanel where their forehead and their chin are cropped off. It's distracting and it's puzzling. <laughs> and in a movie that didn't have so many odd or bad choices, maybe I would have missed it. But alas, so many mistakes or bad choices have already happened that you just start looking for the mistakes and going, what? Now, I'm sure, like, obviously Shyamalan okayed it, but it's just, why, why cut it off at the forehead or the chin? Like, what? what? It, doesn't, uh, it looks wrong. I, I agree. And yet, film 101... <laughs> Basic scenes to let you know how badly and completely he's failing as a writer-director here. 
There are scenes where there's a bunch of military personnel talking about what they're going to do to prepare for the evacuation and fight against the whatever terrorist threat. And the camera slowly pans out and pans up and reveals what? They're surrounded by trees. (laughs) And I laugh. I laugh. It's like, that is so lame. So fucking lame. Like, this is deservedly made fun of. How could you not see it while you were shooting it? Like, wow. Wow. Like I I said, man, I think the plants got together and realized how stupid all of us were and said, this is not an execution. This is a mercy killing. Yeah. we were just not smart the best uh the best justification for the plants wiping us off the planet is the fact that this movie exists we are at 20 minutes which i think is too much for the happening but oh no we can go on all day but i mean i get it time management oh marky mark Oh, it's 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 even an insult. Like this is not his worst movie. Really? Like I was gonna say, I was hoping it was his worst movie. Like the Planet of the Apes remake isn't great, and he's a big part of the problem. But does he outsuck that? I don't know. Oh, dude! Like, um, you remember near near the end where uh, spoilers? The plants have stopped, and you've got that sort of makeshift family now with Alma and whatever Wahlberg's character's name and, and that young girl. Oh, and a bun in the oven. In the bun in the oven, that's right, because the kid will solve all their problems. Um, and that she's got that backpack on, it's got, like, the last avatar. <laughs> get ready, get excited for that, everybody. <laughs> and, oh my god, that movie's worse, Larry. Like, oh. it's just... Yeah, I have not seen Airbender or the Will Smith one after Earth. Yeah, After Earth. Um, both I have... are bad, just for diff- on, on different levels, but it like it hurts. It hurts, and that's a $100 million project. <laughs> the effects look bad. The racism in the movie is unbearable. <laughs> um, like, and I'm, like, I, I've never saw the original cartoon of it, but I did go with a fan. I have never seen a person so broken. <laughs> well... I think that might have to be a conversation for another but, day. We've already got away. The <laughs> happening is really the mercy killing. It is just... Ooh, ooh, I, I'm on team plant for this one, man. Like, <laughs> rah, rah, greenery. Just wow. And the hot dog guy. The hot dog guy in this scene. It's, it's so... The exposition scene is so bad. And he's like talking to the own plants in his green garden. And... Oh, oh, I want to play in traffic. So this is my fault, Lee. Okay. I have a, a obviously a weakness for shark movies. And even in the canon of bad movies, like, sharks seem to really get shit on hard by horror yeah, movies. There are so many terrible, terrible shark movies. Yeah. And 
I think that Shark Exorcist, for me, might have the distinction of being the worst fucking shark movie I've ever seen. Okay. I, I can understand that argument quite quite well, yes. That's if, again, you consider it a, like, honest shark movie. I think yeah. a movie that is working under this severe handicap probably shouldn't have even made distribution. Okay. I uh, got it in, like, there's a four-pack of shark movies for $10. Yeah. Four movies for $10, thought I. How could I go wrong? I went wrong. I went wrong. Um, look, if you were going to have some fun with the premise of mixing two of the scariest movies ever made, say Jaws and The Exorcist, um, but, you know, do it with a wink or do it with, you know, fine, you have no money. Make that front and center. Like, be honest about it. Yes. This is a movie that is incompetently executed, cringily acted. Yeah. I would do like a plot breakdown, but I don't think I understand narratively what the movie is even attempting. I, I, yeah, I, I, I actually said it was, it's almost like a bunch of vignettes of characters reacting to the fact that there's this poor CGI animated possessed shark swimming about this lake. And which we barely see and which we never see interact with the characters. You'll see either the shark or a person, but never both. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, like, basic things like if you have respect for your audience, which obviously, I mean, like, the, the script is complete garbage, but if your sound is that bad, you need to do it again. There are scenes where we cannot hear what people are saying or there's so much audio hum over the, the track that, like, any illusion is broken. Like, you are watching a film, and not only are you watching a film, you are watching an incompetent film. You're watching an incompetent film that opens with a nun stabbing a woman and throwing her to the ocean and offering her, or summoning uh, a, a dark avenger, a shark avenger, a possessed yeah. shark. Uh, yeah. That's about as deep into the plot before things go fall, completely fall south. There's extraneous characters, there's dead-end plot points, there's a whole B story with this Ghost Watchers, what is it? Oh, uh, Ghost, I don't even Ghost Watchers or Ghost Watchers, whatever the fuck they are. to learn it. And, like, whenever we cut back to them, like, I guess it's a relief in that we cut away from something shitty, but then we remember, oh, right, this is really shitty, too, and it doesn't really factor into the rest of the movie. There are large swaths of this. There's a scene where a guy just takes photographs of a woman sunbathing and then leaves, and yeah. then a shark attack happens to her. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I am, I'm actually like, this is one of those movies where I'm mad both at the creators of the film and myself for giving them money. The director to this movie has lots of credits under his CV, and they all look yeah, like cheesy, I, I gross name, exploitation movies. Them. And this is deep into his career. And yes. if this is the best he can do, I weep that he gets movies made and distributed while talented filmmakers go fallow. So I'm not a fan of Shark Exorcist lately. I, I, I kind of gathered, yes. Anyways, I have to give writer-director Donald Farmer credit, though. This is the man, who, and I haven't seen these, but he's brought us Cannibal Hookers, Cotton... Catnado, which I do actually want to see. 
Um, Hooker with a Hacksaw. I do kind of like that title. Chainsaw Cheerleaders, Cannibal Cop, Dorm of the Dead, and the upcoming Shark Exorcist 2. He is prolific. I, 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 I have to give him that. But, I mean, it, this looks and feels like it had a budget in the hundreds. Yeah. And there is not a passable performance in the movie. Like, nobody is okay. Nobody just gets through it. Nobody shruggishly, you know, gets their one scene rolling and says, well, at least, you know, a, a, an actor got a payday out of this. Uh, no, he has made a uh, incoherent, poorly written, and enacted vapid mess of a film that is hard to believe. Like, you talked about, you know, like, the few opening moments of the film right away i kind of put like my pen down and thought this is a like a an apple i or an iphone computer like maybe that someone made on their you know their um apple computer their mac uh and i just went and somehow they got it out in in a distribution so in some ways i kind of thought i can't be like and i thought like it was like watching ty west's first film the roost right, right. is that that title thought, yeah okay we're going to like dial back the expectations a little bit. But with but, uh, The Roost, I could see the talent there. Not all of the performances were complete garbage, and not everything about the film was, was like rickety to this degree. It was yeah. unmistakably amateur, but it was watchably amateur. I did laugh at like when the nun in the opening it stabs the woman and it's like an explosion of maple syrup. I don't want to call it blood, but she gets stabbed in the torso and like up to her mouth she is just like drenched yeah she gets a bucket of blood on her but then later when a woman is literally attacked by a shark they pour the smallest amount of blood on her leg and don't even like attempt to give her a bite or a scar or anything yeah yeah yeah. but no like there's like at 71 minutes 71 minutes this is a chore to watch it's brutal uh, there's lots of like long sequences of people either creeping up on other people or new characters or just even little side narratives. There's a coven of witches that just come in and out of this movie for, for really no reason. Well, no. can you guess the thing that pissed me off the most? What was that? You can't guess? There's no. a scene where she meets a woman at a playground who's yeah. affecting a very... Self-consciously, like, mentally ill. Like, she's playing to, use a word I hate, retarded. Right? A person with a mental disability. Yeah, but she's playing it not as a person with a mental disability. She's playing it like a cartoon retard. And I say that as a father of an autistic son, okay? Like, uh it's not handled well it's not handled it's not there for any reason the character isn't fully explored in fact they set it up like it's a seduction sequence like this woman is now who's possessed by the shark i'm sorry if we missed that detail starts hanging out with this mentally ill woman or child or whatever she is takes her to a swimming pool and starts taking off her clothes and then she wakes up and that was all a fucking dream So what did you accomplish there? You, like, Nothing. like you offended a large quotient of your audience, and you had a really inappropriate attempting to be titillating scene, which, by the way, wasn't. And yeah. then she wakes up, and nothing in those two preceding sequences had moved anything forward at all. And yeah. I, 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 we're still forty minutes into this movie, and I'm like, God damn it! Like, yeah. this is insulting. 
Like, you have no respect for your audience at all. And, like, I can laugh at a dumb shark movie, and that's what I wanted to do. I was not laughing. I was made angry. You told me before we started recording he's going to make the sequel to this. I will not watch it. I will not watch it. I, I, I know too many talented filmmakers and actors who are languishing while this fucking idiot is, you know, like, making garage sale movies and somehow getting distribution. And to make insult to injury, I'm part of the problem because I support the movie industry and I thought, cheesy shark movie, this will be fun. And at the fucking least, it should have been fun. I should have been able to laugh at it. I can't. This is the worst movie on this list, Lee. It just is. It's, well, so I would have to agree with you. I, I don't know how else to put that. Um, there's, like, I want to talk about, like, this long sequence. Once again, this was pretty close before I after the movie with the character dogs for two minutes. And you would sort of think, oh, this, you know, this person was going to you know, add something to the narrative, be a character, but he, all he does is find the body that's been murdered by the shark and that possessed for, you know, five, ten minutes earlier in the film. He proceeds to vomit and then says, oh, she's, oh God, she's still hot. I'd still do her. And Ugh. that's it. <laughs> and again, that's a moment where they were attempting trauma levels of entertainment yeah. and failing. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, I know. Like every single setup and joke just lands with a horrifying thud. I like. I, I sort of kind of you know beg the question because um, on this podcast I've defended films like Leprechaun Four in Space, which is a film that you know you know was swimming in that water, but but it knew what it was and it wasn't incompetent. It was just and it was stupid. Also making fun of a lot of those movies. Sure. So, but how can I find this movie just awful and not wanting to see any of it anymore? I don't know. Like, what's the difference? Well, we talked about Plan 9 from Outer Space, where you could somehow feel the love that was being put into this terrible movie. Okay. I don't feel the love here. This is a make-do production. Like, uh, if I looked at some of the sound exchanges in, in this, I would say, okay, we have to redub the sound. It's going to be a pain in the ass. It's yeah. going to be expensive. We're going to have to loop the audio. But my audience, like, I'm not going to ask my audience to sit through that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, if you're going to be casting a movie, uh, first of all, know what it is. I don't even think it has an identity. I think on some scenes it's being satirical or thinking yeah. that it's being satirical. And other scenes it's trying to be a funny or trying to be a horror or scary movie and it yeah. fails every single time when it tries to be funny it fails when it tries to be scary it fails yeah. and even if it was being like craftily put together like with with the tools they had at hand there is not a professional movie to be made here yeah this that's is why i was giving that a, that a pass for it and if it was his first film and if he was some student kid and he was just wanting to say look i made a movie this is what I can do for, for $10, but give me a budget and believe I can actually make a movie. Like, this is the thing that you put together so that you can prove to somebody that you're capable of making a movie, but it is not something that you inflict upon an audience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, I can't quite condemn him because obviously this guy is an independent filmmaker and somehow 
for a long time has managed to find money somewhere. So I can't condemn him that way, but this is a terrible movie. Even if it was more exploitative, like if it actually pulled the trigger on the sex and violence. Yeah. Like at least it would deliver in some limited degree. Ooh, boobies. Yeah. Ooh, like some kind of nasty, gross-looking gore effects. Yeah. This has nothing going for it. And if I can just dissuade one person, like, oh, Shark Exorcist, how bad can it be? No, believe. that this is bad. (laughs) This is bad. Um, Even the sort of contrasting narratives of, you know, this being an Exorcist movie or this being a killer shark movie, like, it it just doesn't work. It it feels more like vignettes than a a see-through narrative. And the sort of, you know, reoccurring characters are so, like, even when they speak, like, their dialogue is grating, the the performances are grating, like, it's just, the aesthetic is just, ah, even, like, the fake seizures, the horrible bad computer shark, the fact that we get the end credits, that's the hour mark, and there's still ten minutes of the movie, which is a sequence that really has nothing to do with the movie. I mean, sure, it's about a fish in possession, but... I have been in enough shitty productions or, you know, uh, improv shows or or sketch shows where we've had to vamp and eat the clock because the show's gone too quickly or we've had a last-minute cut or whatever. I know what it feels like to be desperate for time and eat the clock, and I sense that here, like they were just trying to get footage to make it feature length. That sequence of the guy taking the pictures of the woman sunbathing is definitely that. The whole aquarium sequence that you're talking about at the end after the credits is definitely that. But more outrageous is like the literal end of the movie, which is like you say at the hour mark. The nun suddenly returns. We haven't seen her for the whole movie. (laughs) And I guess her victim comes out of the water and drags her to the shark. So then we think victory, but then we cut back to our other two girls, and no, she's still possessed, so she jumps into the ocean, and then I think turns into the shark, and then I think eats her friend. I think that 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 might be it. Yes. But I just don't care. I don't care. Don't I'm care. mad at myself. Are you there? Are I you? am. I am. I am really? ashamed that this is on my shelf. Wow, loving. I mean, you can always donate it to the library. I guess, I mean, I've had my day with it. This is me sort of getting it off my chest and trying to warn people out there. Okay. Like, and again, I've watched cheesy, like... I, I, I got really mad at Two-Headed Shark Attack. And okay. that movie is, by contrast, masterpiece. <laughs> and, like, it's terrible. It's terrible and it's cheap and it's got that sort of, like, we'll, we're just doing the bare minimum. But Shark Exorcist doesn't even achieve that, and nor does it attempt it. It neither achieves nor attempts the bare minimum. All right. I think that's that's a fair statement. I don't know if I'll call it the worst film ever. I don't know if it's even the worst Shark Attack film ever. Wow. I'd I'd have to give that to Shark Attack 3 Megalodon. But I can laugh at that. It's got crazy howler lines in it. (laughs) Yep. It does. Yes, it does. I didn't uh, laugh at this movie. I got mad. Okay. Well, I mean, I get it. It's bad. It's bad. Like, like, 
I can't defend any of it. All of it is bad. There's, there's no good in this. I'm sorry, did I steamroll you? Is there anything else you wanted to say about No, no, no I, think you need, I think you needed to get that off your chest, brother. I think that, that was... This was a you review. <laughs> <laughs> This is what I'm supposed to do to relax, is to, like, put in some escapist, silly entertainment and unplug from the stress of the COVID world and the stupidity going on politically and just turn my brain off and watch something stupid. And this movie failed me so completely that I just don't know what to say. In the wild, there can be only one predator at the top of the food chain. And no predator will settle for number two. Lake Placid versus Anaconda. They plan to crossbreed a killer crocodile. My father spent most of his life perfecting the blood orchid serum. With a giant anaconda. But it required creating a hybrid. First bites, always the worst. But now... I've never seen anything like that in my life. The terror has been unleashed. Just another day at the office. We're gonna find that snake before she lays her eggs. I need those baby crocodiles alive. And the hunt is on for their favorite food. <laughs> Sorority girls. I'm bored. Make them swim. Get in the water. They're giving Hell Week a whole new meaning. So, Lake Placid versus Anaconda. I I think this was made for television. I'm not a hundred percent on that. But it is a sci-fi channel movie, which should explain a whole lot. It definitely explains the diminished budget and the diminished uh, expectations that the movie seems to have of itself. Um, but I'm I'm going back over the reviews that we've done. We've sort of been doing one a week. Uh, and over the phone sort of d- discussing them as we go. And I, I, I hate how snobby I sort of, like, I relive the conversations and I feel like I'm coming off like such a prick. Like, I, I've made a movie. I know how hard it is to, to make a movie. I know that the worst movie somebody put their back and put some love into. And even though I took a hot, wet shit on Lake Placid, I know that it has its fans. And I love the original Anaconda, but maybe not because of it being a successful movie, but because of it sort of intentionally or not being of high-quality camp value to me. And really, why couldn't they make a highly amusing Lake Placid versus Anaconda? Like... Maybe it wouldn't reach the heights of, say, Freddy versus Jason, but, like, why couldn't this be a, a, a laugh? Why couldn't this be, like, a good popcorn, shut your brain off, you know, whatever? Yep. But right away, the bar is set so low. Like, it opens on bad CGI, and they're gonna, you know... And even if we, like, just decided we're gonna live with the bad, you know, crocodile CGI... The snake CGI, by contrast, makes the crocodile CGI look amazing. <laughs> so, I guess, you know, you're going to just have to let your imagination do the work for you. The creature spectacle of the movie, for me anyway, isn't going to work. So we are going to put the west, rest of the weight of this movie on the shoulders of Yancey Butler, Robert Englund, Cornemic, Cornemic. Uh, Parker Lewis can't lose, no. but Corin Nemec can. 
not his first bad creature feature. I've talked about him in Sand Sharks, and uh, this seems to be the arena in which he's washed up, and he does enough of these that he's able to pay rent, and uh, you know what? Maybe it would be fun to be in a, in a silly movie like this. Oh, I, 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 do not, I do not blame Yancy Butler, Cornemic, or Robert England for letting a paycheck. So. Yeah, that's, you know, it, 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 it just unmistakably is what it is. But I think I would be able to meet it halfway. I would be able to just say, yeah, let's just, okay, it's made for TV. Okay, it has bad CGI. Okay, it's like self-consciously goofy. Yeah. Uh, but I, I still can't, like, fully defend the movie. It's on a list full of, like, really terrible movies, so it might overshine because of that. But, like, where is the terrible story about Robert Englund's past and how he ended up this mangled, bitter man? And, like, they set up this, you know, sociopathic female supervillain and her, like, underling and this power struggle. That's, Which that's, that's because Larry, you never saw Lake Placid two. I guess not. And four, because uh, one of the good things I'm going to say about this movie is that at least it has a sort of continuing follow through narrative thread from different movies. So it respects the lore. It it does. It does. Okay. Uh, well, uh, well, sorry. I'll let you continue. Well, I'm just saying that I guess. Uh, going just as a, someone who has... I've seen the Anaconda movies, but I've only seen the first Lake Placid. That didn't register to me, and I guess maybe my uh, un, my my homework wasn't fully done then. Maybe that's not entirely the movie's fault. But I still felt like they set up things that never paid off, or like they were things that I was expecting that felt like should happen. This conflict, this this plot point should lead to a head. She should be confronted about her craziness, or or Robert Englund should tell us his weird origin story, or something, you know. And all of these paths kind of lead to either nowhere or meh. And I guess that's where I'm forced to place myself with this movie. It's not bad enough for me to be mad at it, but it's not good enough for me to shruggingly give it a passing grade. It's very, very meh. Okay, well, I mean, I agree with you on the meh part. Um, I guess find the great conditions of Abbott and Kinsella versus Frankenstein, or King Kong with Godzilla, or Tadeko versus Tadeko, for that fact, that's the Grinch with its rings on people. And of course, the Freddy versus Jason films, Anaconda versus Lit Classics. But I think this is more punching the weight of, like, Puppet Master versus Demonic Toys. <laughs> yeah, well, do you agree with the, the, these versus movies that would pop up? We've reached the bottom of the movie-making movie creative barrel, and there needs to be a cult of shit for kids. In this case, I think he's sort of right. <laughs> but I, I, I will give them the credits. I have not seen all of the little graphic sequels. I have seen... Hey, they got David Hasselhoff. They can't be bad. But, um, Robert England, his character was actually in the sequel before, so we get more of his backstory. Ah. Uh. Do, uh, do you see, like, we get see, we can see his hand cut off by the other, you know, the other crocodiles in the first one. I see, okay. I'm happy to know that Yancy Butler is also a recurring character, but what's funny is that the character has died already in the series. <laughs> she's the Kenny of the, 
Interesting. So I really have missed out by not doing my franchise homework here. Yeah, you'll appreciate this movie a little bit more um, if you've seen what sort of sequels. I mean, they're all sort of one-off, but they have a point of the current character. She's not even the chair of the police first. I think she actually worked for the company at some point. But whatever, she is the same recurring character, which is just kind of funny. So, are you saying that the problem isn't Lake Placid versus Anaconda? It, it's your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons? Oh, it's, it's always been you, Larry. It's always been you. That is why I'm here. That is why I'm here. I, I, I'm here to guide you the light, Larry. <laughs> Just follow the light of Lake Placid versus Anaconda. Um, no, um, look. I guess also, like, I could have walked in. It's like when he met at a child's bathroom. It's going to be low budget, so since this is the sci-fi movie, I could have, you know, knew the which I was there with it. Although I have to, but not since that of Thunder's death, have I seen such bad, like, incomplete CGI. There's a scene where a crocodile just killing a person, but the person is riding the wrong way. So the crocodile moving its head one way, and the person riding is another way. It's so bad. I found the snakes, like, even when they weren't doing complex actions, like just sitting in their habitat or in their little cages at the beginning, never at any point did they look credible. Like, the crocodiles, maybe when they weren't moving too aggressively, could almost pass muster in, like, late 90s, early aughts, cheap CGI, but the snakes are brutal. Yeah, we should probably actually break down what little story they're going to there. Okay, well, there's clearly a facility that uh, is studying all of the Lake Placid crocodiles that have decided to settle here to breed. It's a breeding ground. In spite of it being a breeding ground, it's still a town, it's still a tourist destination, a camping destination, and on top of it, this company is doing medical research on the uses of, of course, the anaconda snake, the blood orchid, and, you know, the possible medic medical pharmaceutical benefits therein. They're trying to breed super anacondas. Uh, you know, it's in the great tradition of Deep Blue Sea, Mr. Beckman, where they're going to use this giant snake to solve the ills of the world and make themselves rich and famous in the meantime. And nothing could possibly go wrong until everything goes wrong. The snake specimens escape, and the crocodiles uh, and the snakes obviously do not interact well, and the scientists want to catch the snakes alive and particularly secure the nest of the eggs of these new genetically fucked with snakes. Right. I want to do. I want to give a special Cole Hauser rank and review award to Yancy Butler. I have seen this actor in way too many great, great movies. Um, I want to say, you know, he was in that Witchblade TV series. Remember back in the day, Larry? She played a robot in some TV show once upon a time too, as I recall. She was in John Woo's Hard Target. He was in Kick Ass. Handsome and Gretel Get Baked. Shark Week, the movie, Death Rates 2050, which was actually pretty good, I went to for the Wetface Fat. Rage of the Yeti, which I haven't seen yet, but has Lee written all over it. 
And do you remember the Wesley Snipes parachute point break ripoff movie Drop Zone there? I do, sadly. Yes, so she is the winner of the Cole Hauser Redmond Review Award. She looks like she's been through it. She's seen some shit, but I don't think she sucks in the movie. I think, like, she's doing the best she can here. She's got some terrible lines, which is clearly the hero. Um, she's awesome. Um, I, you know, Robert England, you know, comes up and, you know, Aaron from Kochik as the sort of Bayou redneck. Um, yeah. Uh, um, Captain Brain. You're looking for Quint from Jaws. Thank you. Oh my god, I'm embarrassed. You should be. I thought Jaws was like your favorite movie. Shame. Oh my god. Shame. Um, speaking of shame, I didn't mean to interrupt your, your, your rant there, but, uh... I'm so sad that I forgot Robert Shaw And I felt the homage, but again, this, this makes much more sense now that I know England was involved in previous entries. Um, there is a very exploitive scene early in the movie where we, like, open on this girl who's basically naked in bed except for the stringiest of string... Uh, underwear that doesn't even cover her at all. And she's only being introduced so that she can immediately have sex and be killed. So it was like, it's weird, like, she's going to be sexualized anyway. Why did they open with that? And it's like, again, in another movie that almost further over-embraced it, your Piranha 3Ds or something like that, it might have made me chortle and how over-the-top it was. But in this movie, it felt weirdly out of place with the rest of the movie. It was like... But, I don't know, I, I was giggling too much. Like, you're right, it's a mediocre movie. I don't want to oversell this. And almost like, also because like of the short stain of the, the last movie review, was, like, that movie was, oh my god, Shark Boys this. But anyway, yeah. um, this movie ends up being sort of meh. But again, is it a compliment to say that this movie's better than Shark Exorcist? Dental appointments are better than Shark Exorcist. No, but anyways... I also want to give a shout out to Laura Dale, who plays the Tiffany character. <laughs> I've seen this a lot. Uh, of this sort of, you know, the Richards are caricatures, right? You know, they're all the characters that we, we, we know right away and we hate them and they're going to be Yeah, they're in cheap B movies and they know the paint by numbers plot and they play the notes, usually. Yes, so there's the blonde, you know, white bitch, uh, sorry for the language, but white, you know, the sort of, like, um, privileged, uh, snooty girl. Yes, yes. She's doing some sort of pledge week bullshit with these other girls. It's the whole sub-story of the movie. Yeah, and, like, there's always one of these particular characters. Sometimes it's a guy, sometimes it's a kid, instead of a Karen, or Chad, whatever you want to call them, stereotype. We hate them, we can't wait for them to die, we celebrate the moment. And so I, does the movie. Yeah. At one point, I do want this character to actually be the hero. I want him to sort of play that the final, you know, he plays the original final girl who usually survives. I want them to do a bait and switch and this character become the hero at some point. Don't get me wrong, she's terrible and oh my god, she dies in beautiful ways. Well, they could like Tracy flick her or something from uh, election, but again, we're expecting a much higher level of like self-awareness and satire than this movie even attempts. Yeah, yeah. I um, just want this, this character at some point to be the final girl. Just, just once. Just 
But it, it's weird how it seems like it neither feels like it made the choice to play it completely straight, nor did it make the choice to, like, lean into its goofiness. It's, like, scene for scene, it just sort of decides what it's going to do. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's... The movie is hobbled and, and put together. It almost has the same kind of opening that Sharknado has, where it jumps right into the action. There's no, you know, real grand opening shot. Like, it's a sci-fi movie, so... I, I took my my uh, and Staten, I guess, at this point as well. Um, but I can't on really under defend this movie in any way, shape, or form. There are so many better other sort of bad monster movie with us. There are better bad movies. Yes, but if you're looking for, you know, that sci-fi ring of, you know, really cheap, schlocky computer CGI movie with bad, bad jokes, then here is, like, Classic versus Anaconda. Yeah. You know, it is what it is. Just uh, looking at the... Okay, now I just pressed record. Okay, let's do some full disclosure, Beckman. It was over a month ago that we finished recording our Bad Movie Night episode. But, I don't know, the, the listeners might have picked up on this, but there was some degrade in the quality of audio, particularly for that last review. And I decided that uh, my free podcast just demands higher quality. So, we are meeting up again... This, this much later, to redo our ranks. Well, I, uh, as well as it should, there should be a professional, professionalism to this uh, locally accessed, produced uh, podcast that is rank and review, so gosh darn it, let's do this. Only the best for our listeners, but here's what I will say, just keeping with the theme of Bad Movie Night, and this is the double-edged sword. Yeah. Like, we did them a week at a time for the most part, but... The only things that of this list that have really took up any space in my memory yeah. is probably Plan 9 from Outer Space with yeah. a side helping of the happening. Just every now and then, Marky Mark goes in my head with, Ma'am, no, but uh, <laughs> it's weird how like these are kind of fast food meals in some way. As much as I didn't enjoy a lot of them, I can enjoy watching a bad movie, but... They don't stay with you. Like, if I was to answer a skill-testing question on Lake Placid versus Anaconda right now, like, if someone was to quiz me on the movie, I wonder how well I would do. <laughs> but I did, I guess, superficially have fun watching them. But, yeah, they, these are largely dismissible motion pictures. Alrighty. Mr. Beckman, what was your least favorite of these six bad movies and why? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't think it'll come to like any shock to uh, any of us or to the you know large you know mat, like vast listeners of Rank and Review that at number six I put Shark Exorcist. I think you know even by high school standards today, kids could probably make 
and write and produce a far better product than a Shark Exorcist. Even as a bad movie, just like, no. No. We as an audience deserve better. Yes. <laughs> yes. At number five, the sort of uh, already admitted Wes Craven has abandoned it, and for good reason, but it does have a you know German Shepherd flashback. I will give it that, and that is why it's the only like step above Shock Exorcist. You're marking that as a positive, okay. <laughs> yes, I do. Okay. Right. Where else in the cinematic universe do we have a dog that has a flashback? I quote Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park. The filmmakers were so caught up on whether or not they could, they didn't yeah. stop to think whether they should. <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, man. So the hills have eyes, too by the long-departed but never-forgotten Wes Craven at number four. And I do, this movie does make me smile. It does make me smile for a lot of reasons, but it's it's a guilty pleasure. And that's Sharknado. Sharknado is at number four. Sure, it's got cheesy CGI shark that, you know, can fly and go backwards and defy physics and all that other stuff. But it has a highway death scene that's great. Number three, and the only reason why it's, you know, just above Sharknado is Lake Placid versus Anaconda because Yancey, Yancey Butler has, is the Kenny of the South Park <laughs> version of the Lake Placid and Anaconda series. She dies, she lives, she dies again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She has died at least once before, and it's like, you know, anyways, she's the Kenny of that series. And that's the only reason, reason why it's better than Sharknado. Number two, two words, Parsons, Mark Wahlberg. He's an Oscar-nominated actor. You, you, can you do it for me one more time? Ma'am, no. (laughs) (laughs) I I can appreciate the dude, you know, wanting to play something other than a cop and a robber, but now this was not the role. Hey, apparently he's not like um, uh, above himself. That you know he'll you know have a director do a line read for him. I love it. Oh no, and he talks shit about this movie. So uh, at least you know Marky Mark's got a sense of humor. <laughs> he knows what he made. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so I just needed like a small comparison. Can you do the Van Damme no, and then the Marky Mark no? No. <laughs> It's sort of more of like, a, it's more of an expression of uh, regret with Bandit. No! <laughs> but, uh, no, there's something just so little kid about, ma'am, no! <laughs> I know. <laughs> anyway, which yeah, leaves number we, one. We've gotten the outcome. Number one, I have Plan 9 from Outer Space. Of course, it was always going to be Plan 9 from Outer Space. Ed Wood, and by the way, if, you, if anyone has not seen Ed Wood that's listening to this, stop right now. Thank you very much. But you need a little of that Ed Wood touch. This is your time. <laughs> anyway, but Plan 9 from Outer Space is a hoot. It is short enough. It doesn't really, it's more like a fever dream, sort of. That's how I was going to take it somewhat. I mean, it is about aliens and graveyards and Bela Lugosi. Well, it does, and it makes you wonder what all those other plans might have been. Yeah. <laughs> what movies would we have got? That's a 
that's a pretty solid list. And again, we're close, but I don't think we're going to fight over this. These are not movies worth getting in a fight over. We much more agree than disagree. What did you say, brother? Wah, 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 we didn't match. No, I know. Shocker. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to, as my right, as the host of Rank and Review, to uh, go through my ranks real quickly here. Of course, Shark Exorcist is at the bottom. Uh, it is an affront to cinema. It is an insult to anybody who has honestly tried to put a decent product out in the world for their audience. This is a cynical way that somebody tried to make a cheap buck, and I honestly wonder if anybody involved in the production thinks it's of any value. And if nobody in the production thinks it's of any value, why in the goddamn world would I? I will I will go to the mat for a bad shark movie. You know I will, but this one can go right to hell. Shark Exorcist, sixth place. I'm more... Like, it's, it's the attachment of Wes Craven that really hurts me about Hills Have Eyes 2. Like, if someone else had directed it, I could have almost shrugged it off and maybe a different movie would be on this list. Which isn't to say that the Hills Have Eyes 2 isn't bad. It is bad. <laughs> but... It stings because it comes from a place, uh, from someone who I respect. So, unfortunately, yes, Hills Have Eyes in fifth place. I was not as moved by Lake Placid versus Anaconda as you were, so it made its way to fourth place. Um, like I said, it's all about the Yancey Butler. Yeah, well, and I haven't seen the other Lake Placid movies. Like, I wasn't huge on the first Lake Placid. Do apologies to Rayleigh Perkins, our mutual friend. <laughs> uh, um... You know what I had in my hand? It was actually, they had, like, like both the Anaconda and, like, Placid series on one disc. It was, like, eight and six or something. Yeah, but I, they were missing a couple. It was random. I, I've seen that selection. Well, wait, this is a different one. It's a different cover. Oh. Well, anyway, anyway I, I don't know. It's it's just hard for me to get excited about it. These, especially the snakes look terrible. Yes. Like... The, the special effects have seemed to got worse as this franchise has gone along, so whatever. Third place, Sharknado. It's a nice charity foundation to give Tara Reid six movie franchise for her to be in, which is pretty good for her since she has no perceptible talent. Wow, like Ian Garrick, is that a, did I see that name correctly? But I feel like he's trying at least. I don't get that from her. <laughs> Am I being mean? Maybe. Am I lying to my audience? No, I am not. <laughs> um, it is goofy as all hell, and it is, you know, it, the sci-fi aesthetic, and it knows what it is and is winking pretty hard at you, but, you know, I think it's a mood-specific watch. If today's the day to watch Sharknado, then have a good day. <laughs> yeah, but an argument can be made for all of these movies via our mood-specific. That's right. That's right. Um, so number two is probably the most uh, unintentionally hilarious of the, of the list, is The Happening. Um, and I think I said it in the review, part of what stings here is that I think this could have been a really interesting, really frightening movie with a few tweaks. It starts off really well, to be perfectly honest. But, uh, I don't know, Shyamalan needs somebody, like a consulary, that'll whisper in his ear and say, That doesn't make sense, buddy. <laughs> and he needs to listen to them. This is an embarrassing movie for all involved, I think. But, yeah. it's also kind of hilarious to watch. Yeah. 
But oh god. But I think we have to give number one to Plan Nine from Outer Space because it's the only movie of the bunch where I really felt the love. I mean, I don't think everybody working on Lake Placid versus Anaconda were hating what they were doing, but everybody in Plan 9 was doing this for love and not for money, and none of them had any idea the legacy that this film would have. <laughs> like, it's kind of amazing. So it's, it's this weird sort of cultural artifact that any movie lover kind of owes themselves to take a pass. And unlike a lot of the movies on this list, I will argue it goes down pretty easy. Number one, Plan 9 from Outer Space. Thank you for joining me for Bad Movie Night, brother. Hey, it's an honor, and I look forward to many chats uh, forthcoming. Rambo vs. Dirty Harry, coming soon. Heck to the yes. What is good? What is bad? Is it completely relative? Are these movies review proof? I mean, what what does a bad movie that catches on and becomes a cult bad movie have that a just boring, straight, regularly, blandly bad movie doesn't? I mean, most of these movies had something in them that stuck in your brain, whether you wanted it to or not. But Send me some feedback. Send me your thoughts at rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Tell that other movie freak in your life about Rankin Review. And if you're looking for something to fill the gap between those Wednesdays, there's the Shelf Shedding Movie Show hosted by my friend Mr. Jason Dubray. He knows what he's talking about. And there's the Terror Table Podcast, which is uh, another local podcast to us. Um... And I think you should put it in their ears. I think they know what they're doing. As always, I'm your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons, and I really appreciate you listening to me.